Hi humans, and welcome to Unwrapping Psychology. My name is Maram Galai, and I'm the host of this channel. And in today's episode, the guest speaker that we have with us is Dr. Bethany Wainwright. And we're going to be talking about a research study that she conducted and going in depth into the works behind it and really understanding it. But before doing so, I'd like to take some time to introduce Bethany. So Bethany is a lecturer in psychology at Arden University. She completed her PhD in 2020 at Lancaster University as a Leverhulme Trust doctoral scholar. She worked at the National Autistic Society in the Autism Knowledge and Expertise Department for 18 months before joining Arden University as an academic. As part of her research interests, she is particularly interested in understanding how autistic versus non-autistic children learn and engage with interactive learning materials. And this is actually the topic that we'll be diving into today. So we'll be diving into a research study that she conducted in which she explored how autistic and non-autistic children learn and engage specifically using iPads as the source of interactive learning material. So without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy the rest of this episode. All right. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Unwrapping Psychology. Today, I have with me Bethany Wainwright. Do you want to say hi? Hi, everybody. My name is Bethany, and I'm a lecturer in the School of Psychology at Arden University. All right. So we're excited to have you here today. Thanks for joining. Oh, you're welcome. Nice to be here. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and today we're going to be talking about a research study that she conducted. The paper is published too, so I will be referencing towards that um, to the end if you'd want to read more about it. But yeah, so today we're going to be talking about her research study, which is on, so this is interesting, where it's about children on the autism spectrum disorder, but it's also understanding how they interact with technology, um, specifically with iPads, right? Yes, it is. So we investigated how autistic children compared to non-autistic children when they're learning and engaging with iPads. So this study was investigating how they learn new words and symbols and whether if they engage more with interactive learning materials, does that help with their learning? So before diving into um, like the details of the research study, there is a question that I like to ask every guest speaker at the very start, which is, could you explain what you're about to talk about as if you were talking to a five-year-old? Oh, <laughs> so just, <laughs> yeah, just a sentence or two. Um, and just, yeah, just a way of like summarizing as if you were talking to, uh, to, to a kid. That's really interesting. And it's something that I actually struggled with all the way through my PhD that I'd completely overcomplicate everything. So I had to sort of learn to do that a little bit more. Um, but it's, it's basically how children who are autistic and not autistic learn from pictures on screens. <laughs> I think that's okay. how I describe it. No, I think that actually just gives it directly. <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, okay, so now... Could you tell us, like, tell the listeners a little bit more in depth what your research study is? And feel free to go um, as much in detail as you'd like. Yeah, so my research study investigated something called symbolic understanding in autistic children. And what this means is whether children understand that symbols, so pictures, refer to real world objects. 
Now, around the age of 18 to 24 months, that's when typically developing children will start to understand that pictures aren't objects necessarily. Well, they are objects in their own right, but that's not all they are. They can refer to things in the environment. So like a picture of an apple is a symbol of a real apple. Whereas autistic children are often delayed in that understanding that words and pictures symbolically refer to objects. And instead they call they show what we call like associative mapping of words and pictures and objects, which means that they'll restrict their label to that picture rather than generalizing it to the object. So a lot of the time you'd see autistic children doing things like licking a picture of an ice cream as though it were a real world object of an ice cream. So they'll interact with these pictures. And the issue with this is that a lot of the time autistic children with communication differences need to use symbols to communicate. So they might use something called the picture exchange communication system, which is a series of symbols that children learn to exchange for the real world objects or a real world action. So say if a child needed the toilet, they'd exchange an image of a toilet and then they would um, then get that happen to them. Or if they were hungry, they'd exchange a picture of a biscuit for a biscuit, for example. But without that understanding that pictures refer to real world actions and objects, a child can't effectively use these communication systems. So it's really important that we learn how to teach children that effectively. And what we found is that in previous research, if we make pictures more realistic, that can help children to understand that they're symbols rather than objects in their own right. So if we have coloured photographs, autistic children tend to understand symbols better than if they were black and white line drawings or black and white photographs or cartoons or something like that. So this research is really taking it to another level in that we can present children with coloured photographs, but actually iPad screens allow something completely different. They allow you to actually make images 3D and interactive. So children can actually rotate them and, and view them at 360 degrees like a real world object, which arguably makes them even more iconic, right? Because you're making them look more like a real world object. So that was the aim for this research. And also we know that children really engage with iPads, like children absolutely love them. And I've got many stories of children when I was doing this experiment and did not want to give me my iPad back. So children love iPads and they seem very engaged with them. But the thing is, does this engagement translate into learning? If a child appears to be engaged, are they actually attending to the things we want them to attend to? And does that contribute to learning? So the research questions from this study were to investigate whether providing more interactive images on iPads can increase symbolic understanding in autistic children, but also to see whether children engage better when images are interactive. And crucially, does this engagement link to their learning? That was, uh, okay, that was really interesting. Um, I do have a question. Yeah. Um, so you said that you found that children tend to be quite engaged with iPads. Yeah. Um, so in the process of coming up with this study, did you look at literature about children's engagements with tablets, iPads? And if so, what, what did you find? We did. So... After looking into this a lot, I found two very conflicting things about interactivity on, on screens and things like that. 
So the first thing is that interactivity can really help with user engagement. It can help to guide their visual attention towards relevant features. So thinking about those 360 degree images, it's giving them more information about that object that they can then use to understand it refers to a real world object. So it can be really useful to gain a child's attention, but also interactivity on touch screens can increase a child's cog cognitive load because there's so many different things going on especially if there's sort of like irrelevant hotspots or games or things going on in the background that are all competing for the child's attention um, this can actually impede learning so what was really interesting is in this case i wasn't really sure what i'd find i wasn't really sure whether i'd find it would enhance wouldn't wasn't really sure whether it'd detract or i wasn't really sure whether there would be any effect at all okay when you were talking about cognitive load or all I could think was like, yep, I could definitely relate to that. So. <laughs> um, okay, so for this study, what what reasons led you to choosing it? Um, why did you specifically want to study this? So this study is particularly special to me in a way because it was my first study that I thought about in terms of my PhD. So when I was thinking, I think I want to do a PhD. I was thinking, what research could I do it on? And I was thinking, I'm really passionate about autism. I really love developmental psychology. And I particularly like the papers of my future supervisor, Melissa Allen, Dr. Melissa Allen. And I ended up reading some of Melissa's papers and I actually misread a sentence. So one sentence said a 3D object and I misread it as 3D image. And I suddenly thought, wait a minute, I could make an image 3D if I used an iPad. And that is how I got the idea, because it was a complete mistake. But then when I looked into it, I realized, no, nobody's ever done this before. And actually, it does take that iconicity to the next level. So then I took that idea to Melissa and we had a chat and she was like, no, that's not been done before. Put in for some uh, PhD funding based on that idea. And I did manage to get a scholarship based on that idea. So it's quite a special study because it is my first one that led to all of my other studies and led to where I am now but also it was a complete accident <laughs> that's actually okay so that's crazy because you know how they say a lot of great scientific discoveries start from accidents and yeah. it's kind of cool that you had a whole research published based on an accident exactly okay so um, so you ended up getting a scholarship, you ended up getting funding, is that right? I did, yeah, it was a Leverhulme doctoral scholar at Lancaster University for this project. Oh wow, that's amazing, okay. Um, so what was the process like for conducting the study? It was a bit complicated at first because it was the very first one. There was a lot of figuring out how it would work. More so, how would I design an app that could actually make these images 3D because to test this I needed to have the actual objects in front of me right because I've got to test whether they understand the pictures refer to the object so I need to present them with the actual object and the pictures for them to choose between so really I can't just download an image into an iPad I've got to scan the actual image the actual object I'm going to use 
So we decided I'd go to like the IT department and use a 3D printer scanner. And I found all of these weird and wonderful objects that children wouldn't know about, including like eight familiar objects that they would because I needed to incorporate them in like an array of objects to test their understanding. And I used this scanner to scan the objects in and it was a lot of trial and error, a lot of them falling off, a lot of them not scanning properly. Um, but eventually I managed to actually scan them in as a file. And then we hired another student to code the app and, and put them into the app. And it, it allowed me to build sequences of objects that I could then present either as just normal 2D images, because that's like the control condition. They could rotate themselves 360 degrees so that the child can passively watch them rotate. Or in the most interactive condition, the child could use their finger and rotate the image themselves. So that's how I ended up building. Um, building the app and then I had to contact all of the schools for the first time which took quite a while because I had to go into lots of specialist schools but oftentimes there's not an awful lot of children in these schools and oftentimes you only get a handful of consent forms back so there's a lot of traveling around I did a lot in North Wales a lot in Cheshire and a lot of nurseries as well for, for my um, typically developing children too so to conduct the study, I used to have to go in with my box of objects and really I had to sit down with the child and say, we're going to play a game today. And that game is going to be that you're going to view some objects on an iPad, so either 2D, automatically rotating or interactive. And then I showed them two pictures. So I showed them a picture of the object that I named with a novel word such as Toma or Blicket, because I want to teach them the name for a novel object, a distractor object that they didn't know, um, but wasn't named, and then the actual object and distractor object. So I had all four of these things in front of them and I asked them, can you show me a Blicket? And what I wanted to do is see which one they chose. So if they were to choose the picture of the Blicket, that would show they haven't really understood that that was a symbol because they've, they've kept that label associated with the picture and not the object. If they were to choose the object, that shows, yes, they do understand that it was a symbol. And if they were to choose the distractor object, they haven't understood the task. And then we would um, usually like discard that, that data. But we want to go one step further from that. So we know that a lot of objects in the world are multiple colours. You know, if you learn the name for a cat, you know, there's lots of different coloured cats out there. So, you know, it's not just a black cat. It can be like a tabby cat or a ginger cat. So we also had a different colour target object there that was also a blicket, but instead of being red, it was purple. And um, again, we asked the child, can you show me the blicket? And we were going to see whether they would pick up this object and that they'd have generalized that label to a differently colored version which is like a more robust symbolic understanding and we repeated that twice with two different objects and then i came back two weeks later to test whether they'd remembered that so i just repeated that test phase again and asked show me a blicket because immediate mapping of this label doesn't necessarily mean it's learning so that's remembering. But what I want to do is see if they've consolidated that information and remember it two weeks later. And that is basically the testing phase. And a lot of the children really enjoyed it and did not want to give me my iPad back, especially those that were playing with the object on the screen. They, they really liked that sort of motion of making it move.
Um, okay, that's really cute, actually. <laughs> so, um, so I just remembered something. Um, children with autism spectrum condition, well, it is a spectrum. So did you have a screening process before so that, you know, you kind of grouped children that were maybe closer in the same area on the spectrum together, if, if that made any sense? Yeah, when we were recruiting participants, we realized we couldn't recruit based on chronological age. So we needed children that sort of had a vocabulary ability of around like three years old. So a lot of the time we'd have three-year-old typically developing children, but actually our age of autistic children ranged from three all the way up to, I think it was about 15, um, but they all had that vocabulary score of around the age of three. So that's how we matched participants is that we um, did it was called the British Picture Vocabulary Scale on the children to test their vocabulary size and how many words that they knew. And that's how we made sure we included sort of like a similar range of, of um, participants. And then we included that in our results as well. So, you know, those with a higher score on this vocabulary measure were often better with their symbolic understanding. So essentially, you, you kind of gave them a test to test their de developmental age rather than their actual physical age? Yes, and we also did something called a social communication questionnaire that we gave to parents and teachers, and that um, was like an autism score almost, so it doesn't replace like the proper diagnostic criteria, but it just gave us an idea in terms of their score so that we could make sure we can include that in our analysis as well. Okay, yeah. So um, in regards to the results of the study, like the findings, what did you end up finding from your data after analyzing it? So it was quite interesting. So there's two different parts of our analysis. Remember when I was saying that we were going, I showed them all the things on the iPad. During that time, I was also video recording them because I wanted to code their engagement. And we coded it in two different ways. So one of them was how long the child looked at the screen. So we went through and manually coded their eye contact at the screen, but also whether or not they repeat that label that we give them. So we had like verbal and visual engagement. And what we did was we found that there was no significant difference in symbolic understanding between groups. So autistic children and non-autistic children both seem to have quite a high level of symbolic understanding and they both learn the words similarly as well. Um, and there was no difference in symbolic understanding between conditions. So whether it was 2D, automatic or manual in terms of the rotation, um, it didn't make any difference in terms of how children learned the symbols. But what was interesting was that children who manually rotated the image, so in that interactive condition where they used their finger, they had greater visual attention towards the screen. So we call that greater visual engagement. And then when we looked at visual attention, so children that were attending more to the screen, this was actually linked to greater um, symbolic understanding for the autistic children. So children that were more engaged learned symbols better in the autistic group. So autistic children in the interactive condition, they correctly map the new words to the object rather than the picture, both in the initial mapping and generalization stages, but they also retained this information two weeks later. So it shows that iPads can increase that visual attention and increased visual attention with this app that we created could benefit learning in autistic children in terms of new words and symbols. So 
your overall like thoughts and interpretations or your your own like conclusions from the findings what were they it was that autistic children don't necessarily learn better when something is interactive in terms of the fact that it is interactive in the first place there's not a direct relationship what there is is an indirect relationship through their engagement and their attention so it shows that if autistic children are viewing something that engages them more and helps with their attention this can then benefit their learning so it might be not not that ipads directly influence learning but they can help autistic children pay more attention to what's on the screen which can then help their learning so i'm curious as to whether the findings as to whether the findings were similar to what you expected when you first conducted the study or if it was completely different i expected that autistic children would learn better when it's interactive so i expected it would be the worst sort of um, word retention when it was 2d a little bit better when it was automatically rotating and even better when it was interactive so i thought we're just increasing that sort of realism of the image but actually when looking at it i think that the 2d photographs sort of do the job as it were you know in making something look more real maybe making something look even more realistic there's like a ceiling it doesn't even matter if we go more realistic than that so it's just really interesting to know and it's really good to know that you know we can still use paper we can still use paper symbols it doesn't actually make much difference if we put it on the ipad i also expected that typically developing children might that there might be an effective engagement there so we found that autistic children learned better if they attended more to the screen but that wasn't the case for typically developing children and i think that was the case because typically developing children very rarely didn't map a symbol correctly so there's a bit of a ceiling effect there i think we would have had to use much younger children in the sample to actually get an effect which might be an interesting way to repeat the study in the future i like how you said like that there's a ceiling that there's yeah. like a ceiling of how re realistic it really needs to be before it kind of not not as useful as we might expect it to be yeah yeah no that's really cool um so how about how about the future now like how about any future ideas for what research you might want to conduct or what somebody might do um as a follow-up to your research study well i have a few suggestions already so one of my other studies in my phd which i won't go into too much depth and detail with now is we used an existing ebook that had interactive features so we compared it like a 2d book um one that narrated itself and one that the adult like i narrated for them and when an app wasn't as carefully designed that effect didn't happen so autistic children were more engaged with an ebook than a paper book because it had all these pop-ups all these interactive features sound effects but that didn't link to their learning anymore and that's where that cognitive load can come in i think so it could be that it's so distracting so entertaining they didn't remember as many facts from the storybook as when it was less entertaining so i think it would be really interesting to follow up and design an ebook in two different ways so we could create our own in which we make all of the pop-ups all the sound effects very relevant to the plot of the story 
very relevant to the questions we're going to ask. Or we can include like a mismatch. So there could be some distracting features in there and see whether the type of interactivity in the same ebook will influence that learning. I think that would be a really interesting follow up. Yeah, that's actually really cool. So um, for anyone listening, how I actually ended up figuring out about Bethany's research is I was telling her that I really don't like ebooks and I'm just so much more engaged and I'm learning so much better when I just print out anything that I can and just have it physically in front of me. And then she started telling me about how that's a lot of what she focuses on in her research is um, technology, is ebooks. And then she was telling me about um, her autism study about using iPads and the interactivity of it. So yeah. No, I'm really glad that um, I did have that conversation with you and that I've got the chance to share my research with everybody today. Yeah, no. So um, I, I'm really happy that you joined on this episode. This was really interesting. Um, that is actually all of the questions that I have for you, but I do have one last one. Again, I do ask this to all of the guest speakers. And the question is, what would the world look like if you were in charge? Again, feel free to answer this in any way that you see fit. No expectations. Oh, wow. I think, <laughs> oh my goodness. That is a really difficult question. <laughs> I think if I was in charge, so if I was in charge of the world, it would be mandatory to bring your dogs to work all of the time. Like my dog would have to be involved in all of my lectures all of my students' dogs would have to be on the screen and their other pets. And I think there'd be a lot more exposure to other people's dogs because that's what makes me happy. That was a perfect answer. I actually have nothing else to say to that. I 100% agree. I think that would be very cute. I do too. All right. Well, um, again, Bethany, thank you so much. Um, really appreciate you sharing this and taking the time out of your day. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. All right. And thank you to everyone that's listening to yet another episode of Unwrapping Psychology. As always, if you have any feedback or any ideas of what you'd like to see in future episodes, feel free to reach out on the email or any of the social media platforms. And as for Bethany's research paper, if you are interested in reading it, I will have the reference to the published article in the episode description box. So feel free to check it out and search it up. And see you guys in the next one. Bye.